Welcome to the Passion Purpose Power podcast. I'm your host, Ames. I'm a neurodivergent, fat, queer counsellor, coach and clinical supervisor. And I love stories. I love hearing your stories. I love sharing stories. And I love talking with people about their stories. In this podcast, I'm going to introduce you to interesting people with interesting stories to share about their passions, purpose and power. If you love this podcast, please don't forget to like and subscribe so you don't miss any amazing episodes. And come and find me on social media. I want to hear from you and please share your stories with me. Tanya Nock is a passionate community advocate with a strong commitment to making the world a more equitable place. She believes in the value of inclusivity and actively fosters an environment where everyone's voice matters. In 2017, she gained Nelsonian of the Year Award for her work as a creative arts facilitator and later in the year featured in the TV One neighbourhood documentary celebrating those who bring colour and diversity to communities. Her recent TEDx talk discusses microfinance and her current work, which is Cultural Conversations, an art-based hub where migrants and former refugees lead the way. Her drive is to build relationships and bridge the gap between privileged and disadvantaged groups by providing opportunities to those who might otherwise be othered. So cool. Oh, wait, I'm, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, Tanya. Oh, well, thank you for having me. And um, for anyone that doesn't know, you are in New Zealand. I'm in the UK. So it is currently, for me, your tomorrow morning <laughs> where you are. Yeah, that's right. Wednesday morning here. Yeah. And you're just about to go to bed. I am. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But the, 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 I mean, just so grateful for technology allowing us yeah. to be able to to, to do this. Yeah, um, yeah. So what I, I have so many questions but um let's start with passion so obviously this is the passion purpose power podcast um uh it, it seems like you're passionate about a lot of things and that's great like I don't think we're ever just passionate about one thing but what comes to mind for you when you think about that thing that lights your fire that gets you excited um what are you passionate about well, I suppose it's evolved over the years because uh, through working through the arts, but I suppose I'm at a place now as my passion is changing people's lives. Mm. And I suppose it's always been that, you know, when I was in education, but it's actually making and noticing that change. Yes. Yeah, uh, amazing. So um, in your um, TEDx talk, which everybody should go and listen to because it was amazing, um, you you talk about your own history in terms of um, family uh, having kind of becoming refugees uh, from Uganda and your experience of racism in, in the UK, in the classroom and growing up. How How much of that has kind of become part of your story that has now influenced you wanting to make change uh you know for other people oh it's yeah it's made a lot of it because although it wasn't me personally that uh, was a refugee it, I was born in the UK but um I always felt I didn't feel that I belonged there mm. and um so I, I wasn't sure which community um which culture I fitted into because I didn't feel when I went to India that I they all thought I was an American tourist and um, and yet but growing up in Wiltshire I was the only brown face in the classroom or the orchestra and yet I just always felt different and felt yeah I didn't really belong. Yeah 
and mm. and in your TED talk, you talked about how music was something that kind of united your family, and has obviously become such a huge part of your life. How how did how did music kind of play that role in in uniting and and you know that family sort of time, um, and then I suppose going on, how did you kind of get into music yourself? Yeah, well, I suppose. Music, I from an early age, I thought is a language. So it was a way that you could communicate with people without talking and connect with people. So it didn't matter where you were in the world. And I found through travel and particularly singing, it was always a way to bring people together. And um, I still remember actually going to India and our family all just sitting around and singing and dancing. And it and it's you know science has proved that it uh, it's good for you, it's good and it you know it actually can cheer you up and um, raise those endorphins. So I could see how how music could yeah. could cheer you up and make you happy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I love that. So it is it is it does something different, doesn't it? Music and I suppose there's kind of music and then there's lyrics. And there's something about the storytelling of a song that hits different than just a spoken word. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I've always been a huge fan of musicals, and and I think that there's something in that around. I don't know. It just it's more moving. I don't know. I, um, what what do you think? <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, I'm more interested now because. Obviously, after years of uh, working with children and and those privileged enough to afford lessons, mm. and you know, and and then I wanted to bring music to the people. So, I started with a samba group. Um, with so we were we managed to raise. You will hear in the talk how we raised money to get the instruments, and then at one point we had ninety people in it, and mm. and it wasn't just about the music. So it was it was a community. It was family. And then moving on to the voice collective, so many people are traumatized by being told they cannot sing. And um, even quite recently, three months ago, we did uh, Spandau Ballet's Gold. And imagine a room, or, you know, a full room where you can't literally move. And people messaging me afterwards to say how euphoric it was to stand in a room and sing. And it, you know, it had made huge changes and effects to their mood and they were going to go home after work and they didn't feel that they could come and they were in the mood and they mm -hmm. they didn't regret it so yeah that brings joy to me knowing that it has that effect on people and I wanted to share it because I'd received it myself so I wanted mm. other people to um to feel it too yeah yeah. Do you do you have any kind of musical influences that sort of uh, you re you remember being significant in your life at, at various points? So it's quite funny. It's quite embarrassing, actually. I was a huge I was a huge ABBA fan. In the late well, that's not embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> and then it kind of went into the Joy Division and more of the coolest sort of stuff. But I loved. I did love all that pop and the Duran Durans and. Um, that the 80s so yeah tears for fears who were down the road weren't they are local I'm very proud that they were a bath band i don't i, don't, yeah. I didn't know that you're me aren't you you probably are you probably yeah. weren't so much a tears for fears fan so started <laughs> with that and then um 
one huge change for me was that I went to Dartington College in Totnes. I went to that arts college, which was really progressive. And um, those were where the early WOMAD days were down in um, St. Right. Hostel on the beach. And it was a very much a co-creative festival. And for me, every day was like WOMAD for three years at that college. Wow. Um, you had music from all over the world and um, it just opened opened up mm -hmm. my eyes to the world of music and and you know without all the protocols of you know silence and no clapping in between movements and I, I just really enjoyed the gypsy side of where you could shout and scream and Indian music where you actually just you know in the middle of it show your appreciation if there's you know something that hit you mm -hmm. know hit the soul or something yeah. so so many different i'm a huge massive fan of stevie wonder as well okay. yeah. say, um stevie wonder was huge for me and um yeah gosh so many yeah so many it's amazing when we look back what kind of goes into building our um i mean sort of musical influences I think it's more that it feels like it's more than that but um I didn't really kind of get into music particularly until I was it, it would it would have been kind of 90s for me I I don't I, I mean I was born in 78 so the 80s were around I just wasn't very aware of music before the age of I guess 11 12 and that kind of thing and um and I think you know one of the things I'm most proud of with my son who's 17 is he's got such a a, a wide variety of music that he likes he's equally at home with dubstep as he is with madness um yeah. and really enjoying seeing his kind of musical taste develop um yeah i've enjoyed does... seeing um rick astley come back at glastonbury yes. last year with and the smiths and and that sort of era take you know we're not yeah. and all the young people that knew all the words of the songs that was incredible yeah. Yeah, kind of and, and even like listening to Massive Attack and More Chiba, all those Bristol Portishead bands. Yeah, yeah. Seem dated now. Listening to that was a brilliant time. That was an incredible yeah. time. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, so I I don't know if you've seen it, but um, I uh was doing recording an episode with um a local musician yesterday, and we were talking about this bumper sticker that I'd seen years ago that said music was better when ugly people were allowed to make it. And I there's something that really resonates with that with me, with because it, I just feel like the mu music, you know, great music you can find, but what you're presented with in kind of popular culture is very. It, it, it's it's not even just generic or anything like that it's just it's it's usually very pretty people with with perfect voices and i kind of want something messier <laughs> in my yeah, yeah, music yeah. i'm with you too yeah so mm -hmm. i remember i got told off once in the orchestra for um oh i think i had my nose ring on or something and you know just yeah the, it, there was almost that you know that you must wear the white shirt and the black and yeah and I think I put my music on the floor one time and um yeah, it wasn't for me although I still love playing my violin yeah that whole orchestra scene was not for me yeah mm. interesting um how 
I, I don't know the story of how you kind of landed in New Zealand and how you, you know, you, you settled there. Um, is, is there a story? <laughs> um, um, well, we did, so we went to visit. So my partner's family moved out and we came out to visit uh, when when we were in our 20s and it was so quiet. And we thought, you know, what have they done? You know, where have they moved, you know, to the end of the earth? And um, anyway, we we ended up we were living in Devon and we had our child Rohan and and we we brought him out for a holiday when he was 18 months to visit the family again and uh, we thought actually this is an amazing place to bring up children wow. so we decided to come for 18 months and so we rented out our house in Devon and um, um came was just like six boxes and after 18 months we thought no let's let's stay here yeah so we've been here ever since and um yeah so we've got quite a few cousins and uh family over here and i've got some from my dad's side on the north island as well so but it does seem a long way yeah. from you know from europe england yes yeah, yeah. And I, I try and um, listen to quite a lot of, uh, you know, Maori voices. And um, I mean, Taika Waititi is obviously someone that is out there talking about, um, you know, the, I guess, the, the treatment of Indigenous people. Um, how much, you know, how much does that play a part in in the collective and in, you know, just sort of, the the work that you're doing over there yeah so it's an ongoing it's ongoing work and there's a lot of work to be done and um there's a lot of anger and protest around co-governance at the moment so the government the government wants to bring in co-governance and that's recognizing te treaty of waitangi and um and basically it hasn't been followed by the crown so uh there's a lot of it's brought a lot of people out of the woodwork it's brought a lot of racism white supremacy out and um yeah so at the moment i'm just seeing myself as an ally and doing what i can um to support um the rights of indigenous people yeah mm. um so i mean as we've we've started talking about uh cultural conversations um tell us a little bit about the 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 birth of that and and i guess some of the impact that that's had on on the community yeah. so it started i was still in a job so i started it as more of a bit of a hobby um and we had a project for 10 days at nelson arts festival and that was back in 2019 and the idea of it came uh, was was really um, instead of newcomers moving to an area and being supported and learning ways of that culture, I thought, well, what can we learn from our newcomers? So it started in a tent, a beautiful Indian tent in the town, and we had 10 days of workshops and informal conversations um, and performances and um, we asked the Sri Lankan, Bhutanese and Colombian community to be part of it and it worked really really well I mean we had different things from mask making to 
um, people coming with saris and how do you wear it in a Sri Lankan style? And then we had dance. And, and so I thought after that, actually, there's only so much I can do within the system. So um, I made it a mission to set up my own charity. And that's what Cultural Conversations is. It's a charitable trust. And actually, we were very lucky we had the lockdowns because that gave the time for us to have a team mm -hmm. to, to actually apply to be a trust because, you know, it takes a bit of time. Yeah. And um, we had a bit of support from Creative New Zealand for the first year. And so we have moved into empty shops. And I mean, I noticed back in the UK, there's quite a few empty shops too. So it's a lovely way for us to brighten up. We call the CBD is the central business district. Okay. So um, our first space that we went into uh, had been empty for three years and we went in for six months and it got leased. Right. And then second place, the same thing. It had been empty for three years. We went in six months, it got leased. We love our place at the moment. We've been in there, oh, probably 18 months now. So, um, yeah, we we brighten it up. We, we have various things going on. We have um, migrant and former refugee artists can display artwork. So we have exhibitions, and it's a bit like an art gallery. We have concerts. Uh, we have conversations. We have like live conversations like this. We may have food nights and a regular night. We have, as I've set up, um, Global Stitch Up, which is kind of a it's a social enterprise without making a profit at the moment. Um, yeah. Just in the early days of that. So the idea is, what can you? What can we learn from you? So that that's where that comes from. Yeah. And preserving culture, because I'm seeing kids in schools um, who lose who lose the parts of their craft and culture. Mm. Powerful. And 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 it's I mean, is there a, a connection between you creating these spaces and then them getting leased is, is that is yes that a, perhaps an unintended <laughs> well, consequence of, of well of, yeah you could say we shoot ourselves in the foot in a sense <laughs> but at the same time um you know it's also quite refreshing moving on at first yeah. I, I would be a bit stressed but actually working in the communities it's like it's no problem we can just move on you know right. it's okay don't worry yeah, yeah. so i've the, learned a lot now yeah there's something sort of metaphorical about that as well of of i guess uh you know yeah being forced to move on in a way um that yes that making something from it which i don't yeah. want that to sound like i'm dismissing the or minimizing the, the 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 impact of having to be you know not having a choice about moving on but yes uh, the the idea with it all as well is as it is it is a safe space. So mm. um, I was noticing that you know I go to quite a lot of events in town, and you go to these launches, and you have all these things. And yeah, I look around. Anybody else that looks like me here? Mm. It's very white. It's very privileged. And um, I often think, you know, and I I've watched some of the Muslim women walk through town, and they're they don't want to be seen they're kind of you know quietly and I'm thinking a lot of these people are invisible 
Yeah. Uh, a lot of people in the community I've asked and they've never been to cafes or restaurants. It's yeah. literally work and home. So that's another passion of mine is to give people something more than just work and home and also integrating with each other. Mm. And that's been a really important thing. And we've we've done things like we've gone to a big concert, opera in the park, and we've gone as a group of 50. Because, again, you can give out all the tickets you like, but people won't feel comfortable to go on their own to something yeah. they don't know. But if I say, come on, we'll have a picnic, let's all go together. Um, yeah, so we've done a few things like that. Yeah. I think that's really significant because um, that was something that struck me about your TED talk where you, you talked about first followers. And um, I, I think there's, there's, you know, there's, there's something about starting a project, but having that first follower that then, you know, gets the momentum going of, of, of other people being able to come along. Um, how, how would you encourage people to be first followers or um, because that can, yeah, be, be quite anxiety inducing being the first person to kind of go along to something or be be a participant in something. Yeah, I'm glad you've reminded me of first followers because I think it's, you know, actually I think I need to think about sustaining it as well because you get it at the beginning and then, yeah, it's keeping it going or finding another first follower as well. Mm. Um, so I think if you're, I think if you, if you see something that, somebody else is doing that you support yeah why not put your hand up to be a first follower mm. um, and I've I've seen it actually people people do that I don't know if you've seen the video when of the field when they're dancing because I haven't but I, I I made a note to go and watch that because on his TED talk and yeah and it's interesting this first person that starts dancing in the field looks crazy and then the, but then as soon as that second one it sort of changes the whole dynamic and mm. I I noticed that at the weekend with a um there was a messenger group that had uh, was quite a big group of people and I was feeling I was feeling like oh I'm, I don't want all these notifications the event's over now shall I leave the group but I was feeling like oh no if I leave the group they're gonna think I'm really you know <laughs> I'm not a very nice person or something. And then it took somebody else to leave the group, but then <laughs> 10, 10 people to leave the group. Yeah. And I thought, oh, there you go. There's the first yeah. follower. Yeah. Right. And, 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 and yeah, thinking about it in that context of, of like the first follower might be the first lever. And you, yeah. you talk about that as well. Of actually, maybe you need to step aside for someone else. Um, yeah. Yes. And, and do you think there's something about, you know, allyship um you know the the something around the work for white people in anti-racism work that they hopefully should be doing where they might need to be a first follower in order to um i don't know and not show the way i i don't want to i don't want it to come across as a white savior thing but if if some the 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 historical or, or the experience has been actually it's not a safe place for for people of color um is there something around actually this could be a thing that that white people could do to help <laughs> absolutely yeah and definitely stepping up step, stepping back um yeah. to make room for other people yeah and uh, yeah I found myself in own situations like that 
and um yeah there's there's that so there's being an ally and there's being a disruptor as well and we're often mm -hmm. called disruptors for what we do because we'll actually call out situations and um you know particularly if it becomes tokenistic right and and there's an organization who might be using all the buzzwords yeah um saying that they're doing all these things but they're not doing it then we call it out yeah yeah but it's hard because it's you know it's a small town and it's also mm. it's you know how much energy do you want to spend you know that's that's the dilemma i have sometimes is how much energy do i want to have fighting something compared to helping people yeah that's that's something i have to balance up in my life yeah yes yeah I, th and, I think yeah that it, it, yeah i think that's that's a, a familiar burden that i hear um people of color talking about that it's that it takes a lot of energy to keep uh disrupting arguing you know making making the cases you need other people on a, on your team to be able to do that as well definitely yes yes or the hardest thing is if you're around the table with an uncle or something or yeah as a family member and they say something is like oh do you speak up yeah yeah but uh oh trying to speak up in, in not an emotional way right yeah in a yeah. grown-up way <laughs> yeah. yeah and 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 you talk a little bit about that about uh in your talk about still finding your voice and and i think there's i think particularly for women um there is something about that i love that um saying um uh something about speak speaking even when your voice shakes and yeah. there is often emotion involved in in what we are saying and doing um so yes. what i mean what what are the sort of challenges uh that you're kind of facing at the minute um or maybe maybe a better question is kind of what what are the current lessons that you're learning in life because <laughs> i don't think that ever stops uh oh gosh i learned so many lessons um uh nothing is permanent that's a really important lesson that i always think yeah mm. um and i try and also think of the four agreements that the Mexican Toltec people lived by. So, uh, yeah, I always try and think, don't take it personally. Um, don't make assumptions. That's a huge lesson that, um, you know, I've learned, you know, don't assume, don't assume. Um, and then the first one is also impeccable with your words. So sometimes I remain silent, is knowing when to use your words. Mm. Yeah and um yeah always trying the trying my best but i suppose some of the challenges of it's i can be quite open and i can be a yes person mm. and i've had to bring um more boundaries um into my life and with particular people because because what happens when you're doing something that is successful a lot of the funders now are saying that we won't fund you unless you are working with migrants and former refugees. And then suddenly I have a lot of organizations and people wanting to work with me. Um, and, you know, lots of cups of teas with people add up to hours. And mm. when I, I'm project funded, you know, I don't get that many operational. My 
operational funding is quite limited. So that those are the challenges actually saying, sorry, I'm not free for three weeks. Yeah. Or yeah, that that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um and and I suppose um I suppose maybe adjacent to that is in in our people pleasing or not kind of wanting to to upset people or which can be around when we're trying to say no or put in boundaries is just we're so influenced by the fear of what other people think um and I've been thinking about this a lot lately um I think about you know that first person that got up and danced at that um uh event and I, I I think I've internalized this idea that they don't care what people think about them. Mm. But I wonder if it is more they care, but they're just going to do it anyway. <laughs> and and so I, I don't know what the because I think it's such a big uh, restriction um, uh, on people is what all people think. And it holds people back from really being creative and uh stepping out and doing exciting things any tips <laughs> for either doing it and feeling the fear and doing it anyway or or caring less about what people think yeah well I think say say with the voice collective uh, the thing that you're doing you're doing it as a group um so yes you know take some small steps you know and yeah, join something with a bigger group so that you can, you know, be supported and ask for help. I think that's the other thing is also I'm feeling vulnerable. Uh, would you, you know, would you come with me to this? Because I really want to go. I think it's really always really important to communicate. And um, so when I've got a group singing, say, for instance, I'll say to everybody, because I think people won't naturally do it. Well, some will naturally do it, but I'll sort of say, look, some people have been traumatized here. They've been told they can't sing at school. Mm -hmm. They've got here, they've come. Um, and if you are feeling quite confident, would you be able to help somebody next to you? So I mm -hmm. think it's that mm -hmm. trying to encourage, like I know that I'm not going to be able to change the world on my own. But it's that why water your neighbor's plant, you know, that kind of idea mm. that, um, you know, we we can all do it together. And if um, I think I finished my talk with that small acts, well, I always think of that, the, you know, the story of the starfish when the boy's walking along the beach and, and he throws, yeah. starts throwing all the starfish back in. And his yeah. dad says, why? There's so many. And, you know, you won't make a difference. And he says, "You, I will for this one. And I yeah. sort of think about that, that if, you know, that there's so many good people out there who yeah. want to do things. And that's the other thing. People often want to help but don't know how to. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's something in there about maybe then if you are, if you are someone that is, that does perhaps have a little more confidence. Um, and I think, you know, we could have, a, a conversation about where confidence comes from in terms of you know nature nurture and, and and that sort of thing but if you are someone that is able to kind of lay the groundwork or kind of burst the bubble or you know be able to say yeah you you might be feeling scared you you might be it invites it invites vulnerability and I think then then great things come from that yeah yes yeah, yeah. So um, just before we have to end, um, 
I, I we haven't necessarily specifically talked about purpose, but I think that's come across quite strongly in what you've been sort of talking about. Um, but I really want to know when you kind of because you you talk about empowering, and obviously I think so much of what you do is so powerful. Are you connected with kind of when you feel at your most powerful? Um, that's kind of what I want to know. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm actually going through menopause at the moment, so that's a really that's a hard question to uh, yeah. to answer because I do feel different all month, you know. Yeah. And um, it, you know, hormonally, I I am fluctu fluctuating, but yeah. Um, when I'm at my strongest, um, is is when I have spent a lot of time with myself and um, I often will try and empower myself by speaking to my older, wiser self. Mm. So if I'm feeling a bit, um, you know, if I'm feeling a bit vulnerable, I'll kind of say, come on, Tanya, right, what do you need to do? And so, yeah, I often, and sometimes I might actually reach out to somebody and I've got a few really, really solid people in my life that I can reach out to and and get support. So I do find, yeah, that on my own is really helpful, but then also with others. Um, and, yeah, definitely sticking with, I, I find it safer for me to stick with the people I really trust and, mm. and and to stay away from all that kind of white supremacy, stay away from the racism. And, yeah, actually recently there was a protest with these white supremacists that were anti-governance, and I can't go anywhere near the place. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas if it was a transgender protest on rights, I'd be up there, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, so... I find I could, or you know, pal you know, a Palestinian event or something. I would be there, yeah, uh, um, because it's not affecting me. Yeah, those people, yeah, even though they're bigots or whatever, um, or transphobes, homophobic, whatever. I, I, I find that I'm, I'm very powerful mm. in that situation. But if mm. it's something to do with color, I need to stay away. Yeah that's yeah. that's really interesting and and, and thought-provoking so you're kind of sort of saying that there's different elements that go into making you feel strong and powerful and and part of that is you know leaning on your own inner wisdom and taking time for yourself and then resourcing yourself from trusted people and then protecting your boundaries around yeah I yes. know that, that is not going to be a space that is going to do anything good for me or make me feel powerful so I'm not going yes yeah. And then when I'm stronger, I can probably go into those spaces. But mm. yeah, but then that can knock you back down again. So yeah, I have yeah, yeah I have to be careful with that. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah, want I to think... be in I wouldn't want to be in Parliament. Mm. I would find that too hard. Yeah, that's not for yeah. me. No. Kind of, um... Yeah. Yeah, it's not for me. Yeah, I think um, I think I'm 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 always a little bit fascinated by the the characters that end up with a lot of power within a system like governance and governance and and because they don't they don't usually seem to be people that are wanting to share and 
grow and change it's it's a more sort of no me first rather than the community first yeah. um here anyway <laughs> i'm not sure yeah, yeah i'm very much grassroots i like to be on the yeah. ground with the people i think on our first day at music college because it was music art and theater and there was a lot of people who thought they were super special and i remember like the first day we all had to scrub the floor and I, wow. and I learned a lot from that actually yeah. and if anybody got too big for their boots they were sent back to scrub the kitchen or <laughs> um, yeah so I think yeah. yeah no one's greater or lesser on the ground with the people I'm yeah. at, that's when I'm in my happy place amazing anything else that you you feel like a a a, a a thing that you want people to know or something that you want to say that we haven't covered so far no i think that's it really thank you so much for uh for, for coming on the podcast and giving me your time and energy and uh and and wisdom and education and and i'm so grateful to to have heard your story and and to hear a little bit of what about is about some amazing stuff happening over the other side of the world yeah well, thank you for having me Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. And I really hope you enjoyed it. Please like and subscribe. And if you really want to help me out, I would love it if you could leave me a review and share my podcast with friends who you think would also enjoy it. This podcast was produced by Lexi at Digital Hero. And the music was created by Charlie at Walters Music Productions.